Get 0% interest for 48 months on any replacement project right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Our experts complete the installation with no hassle or mess, leaving only perfect results. Schedule your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. An eclectic program coming up today. We're going to be talking about a lot of politics, and some people are saying, well, Jeff, you know, you're doing more politics than you normally do. Well, yeah, that's because we're in the middle of an election season and there's lots of political stuff going on to discuss both locally, statewide, and nationally. So yeah, this is a current events program, and yeah, we're talking about a lot of that, but we're also going to work in some other stuff during the course of the program as well. Let us get started. Head exploding moment. The local newspaper has gone all in in trying to, first of all, defeat Ron Johnson over the course of the last year or so. It was it was kind of like the coverage Donald Trump got in the New York Times. There was it was impossible to find a piece that was not slanted and was not hostile to Ron Johnson. A couple weeks ago, there was the big editorial in the local newspaper that was in all the Gannett newspapers throughout Wisconsin talking about how Ron Johnson was just unfit to be the U.S. Senate senator. They, they, they found, you know, like people who used to be prominent Republicans who never wrote, said, we're not going to support Johnson. They were all in in trying to defeat Ron Johnson. And that's what it was. This was not objective journalism. It's we're going to try to beat Ron Johnson. It is now pretty apparent. Now, again, a lot of stuff can happen over the last 10 or 11 days of the campaign, but it is pretty apparent that that is not happening. More and more smart people are, I think, recognizing that the decision to you know, for the Democrats to choose Mandela Barnes um, has really kind of backfired. There's a new poll out yesterday, which mirrors, matter of fact, and I, I sent out a tweet on this. This mirrors what I am hearing from my sources who have like internal campaign polls. That The new poll that's out yesterday shows Johnson up by five. That is consistent with where the Marquette poll was a couple weeks ago. And I'm told that's kind of consistent with where the internal polls are. That Johnson is, and again, this is a divided state. I'm not saying he's going to win by nine or ten points. But it appears that at this stage in the election, you know, people have decided that Ron Johnson is a superior candidate to Mandela Barnes. And it's looking like he's going to win. I fully expect the Barnes campaign to start pulling the, the National Democrats to start pulling money that advertising money from Barnes and, and maybe putting it in some other states that are more accessible. Um, but, you know, that like I say, the latest poll that's out is five points. I think the Marquette poll is coming out tomorrow, I think. And if it shows, I will just tell you, if it shows anything, if it shows the race closer than four points, there, there's probably something wrong with that. That's what it looks like now. Lots of stuff can change. But the more and more you look at this, it appears that Ron Johnson is on track to be reelected, despite the best efforts of the local media and the statewide media to try to undermine him. So what's happening now? Well, you, you see the attention is now being, especially in the local media, it's now being focused on Tim Michaels. Okay, we had this effort. We were going to try to, you know, defeat Tim Michael. We were going to try to defeat Ron Johnson. That appears to be going nowhere. So now you have this stories that are coming out. It's almost like the cheap attack piece per day on on Tim Michaels. We talked about the completely BS story 
from last week about how Tim Michaels, you know, has, has used the Shaniqua police. You know, if, if you didn't listen to that commentary, it was another one of these head-exploding moments because Tim Michaels, okay, lives in the village of Shaniqua, which is a very small community, like 550 families or something like that. People pay enormous property taxes. They have a private police. They have a police department, and there's a certain expectation for a level of service. So the story was, gee, Tim Michaels, you know, he he called. He couldn't get a hold of his wife one day, and he got worried, and he called, and he had, had them do a welfare check on her, and it turned out that she was sleeping. And that's a story. That is a story that they put in the journal Sentinel. I mean, okay, because what, what's the, what's the point? He was worried about his wife. He calls. He can't get in touch with her. They, I, the way the story works, it was related to me, is, you know, he, they had security cameras. They weren't seeing her. He couldn't get in touch with her. He was worried. Oh, heaven forbid, he's worried about that. And then, gee, he called the police once because there was a bunch of litter that was on his front yard. And, yes, his dog fell through the ice, and he called 911 to help him to rescue the dog, which my point is— and you know, I, I don't know how they operate at the Journal Sentinel, but if if my dog fell through the ice, yeah, I, you can bet that I, I'm calling nine one one right away to try to help me save her. But but this turned into a story, and it just was just a completely garbage, cheap shot attack that was really, I mean, demonstrated demonstrated I think where you know the the attitude is in this particular race and demonstrates the shift that okay we tried to take out Ron Johnson and we've apparently failed there the the Michaels Evers race is very very close the latest poll that was out that I have has Michaels ahead by one that's within the margin of error so it's very very close but the momentum is clearly on the Michaels side so now you're you're getting some of these other cheap shots and there's one there's one in the news over the last couple of days which demonstrates the insidious nature of, of media bias so it has to do with the flat tax, all right? Flat tax for people who you know aren't familiar with this is just instead of a progressive tax rate, which says that based on your income you pay X amount of dollars, it's just with with all the different deductions and exceptions. The flat tax just simply says, all right, everybody pays. We, we get rid of all these deductions and stuff, and everybody pays the same rate across the board. All right. Um, Flat tax, the flat tax exists in, I, I want to say, like about 11 states, and in like 30-some states, they, they've got the progressive tax, and then there's like seven states that have no income tax at all. So I, I take no position on whether the flat tax is a good idea or not, right? So here, here's the story. At, at an event a week or two ago, and I don't think this is unique, somebody asks Tim Michaels how he feels about the flat tax, all right? And his comment is... Well, I, I, what I want to do, and I'm looking, you know, at, at his remarks. He says, "I look, I, I, I want to reduce the tax burden on Wisconsinites," and he says, "I'm, I'm open to looking at a flat tax, but I, I'm, I mean, if it's going to raise taxes on residents with the lowest incomes, I, you know, we're not going to do it. But I'm open to looking at." You know, everything is on the table. He says, I'm going to sit down with all the smart tax people, and we're going to figure out how low we can get the income tax. Right now, it looks like we could get it somewhere between just below 5%. If you had a flat tax at that number, the tax level would actually come up for those on the lowest income bracket. I do not want to raise taxes on anyone. But he says, I'm open to this. This isn't, hey, I'm out there floating this flat tax, but I'm open. I'm looking to everything, which I think is a responsible way to do it. So what happens then? Well, first you get the story in the Journal Sentinel saying, all right, governor, GOP governor candidate Tim Michael says he's open to a flat in tax, income tax for Wisconsin. 
That's a story by Molly Beck. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it is. Okay, he's, he's open to it. He's not saying, I'm doing this. So then what happens? You get this story by reporter Corrine Hess, who's been like sort of at the forefront of the anti-Republican stuff. The story today, economists say Tim Michaels' flat tax idea would only benefit the rich. More than two dozen economists say a flat tax that Republican gubernatorial candidate Tim Michaels has said would open to would only favor Wisconsin's richest residents. All right. He's not endorsing a flat tax. He's just saying, I'm going to look at anything. And yet you get this page after page story, and you've got a bunch of liberal economists led by this guy from MATC who, who's, oh, this is just terrible. This is going to be regressive. And it becomes the, this story. All right, Michaels is promoting this flat tax, and it's going to just hurt p- private people. Michaels isn't calling for a flat tax. Michaels says, I'm open to talking about this stuff. And yet this becomes the hit piece du jour, as if he's like saying, okay, if I'm elected, this is what we're going to do. I don't take any position on the flat tax at all. I mean, candidly, you got to sit down, you got to work out the math, you got to see how this works. But all Tim Michaels is saying is, I'm open to stuff. And candidly, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but this turns into the latest attack. You get the story that is manufactured in the press. Then what happens is you get the liberal allies of the press who then, we've got all these economists that's saying this is a terrible idea. Then you get the story again, oh, this is only going to benefit the rich. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I don't, I don't want to necessarily talk about the, the flat tax idea, but, but the coverage of this race— I think has been absolutely appalling. Now, look, I'm a commentator. I give my opinions on stuff. But but what passes for impartial news coverage, I think the way Ron Johnson has been treated has been terrible. And now that it looks like the efforts to try to derail the Johnson campaign are flailing, what's happening now is on any given day, you get one, you get two, you get three, cheap shot, Fake news, yeah, I'm going to use that term, fake news stories now directed at Tim Michaels. And, and I tell you, you just kind of want to look and say, okay, here, here, is, here is the deal. What happened to objective news coverage? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. One of our texters, Jeff, did any of the newspaper articles misstate any facts? No, it's, they've slanted the facts. Here's the headline. Today, economists say Tim Michaels' flat tax idea would only benefit the rich. Tim Michaels doesn't have a flat tax idea. Tim Michaels says, I am, oh, when, I, when I am elected, I, am, I want to reduce the tax burden on all citizens in the state of Wisconsin. I am open to ideas. I will sit down with all these people who know lots about taxes, and we will look at stuff. But I'm not going to go along with a proposal that would raise taxes on anybody. Okay, that's what he says. The headline is, economists say Tim Michaels' flat tax idea would only benefit the rich. Tim Michaels doesn't have a flat tax idea. It It is a completely and totally manufactured fake news story. Again, I take no position on the flat tax, you know, one way or or the other, but it's not like he's out there touting this. He's saying, I just want to reduce the burden on everything. But this is what happened. You run the story. Oh, well, he's open to the idea. And then you get a bunch of liberal economists. They, oh, this is just going to be terrible. Then, you know, you get the follow-up story. Well, this is awful. It's his idea. He doesn't have a flat tax idea. Yes, he called the police to do a welfare check on his wife because he was worried something had happened to her. Shoot him. Yes, 
guess he called 911 when his dog falls through <laughs> through the ice because, you know, he was worried that the dog might drown. Oh, these are these terrible sort of things. And yet you get no negative coverage at all about any of the stuff that Tony Evers has done. The local media and the statewide media tried to do this with Ron Johnson. They they failed. They failed completely, at least if you look at any of the polls. So now there is this marked shift which has occurred. And like I tell you, on a daily basis, you will see two or three of these manufactured fake news stories that try to paint Tim Michaels in a bad light. And I just think at some point in time, you want to say, okay, you you expect this from the ads, but what happens is the insidious nature of this is that they work back and forth because you you get the story that gets planted in the newspaper by Democratic operatives or in on the on TV, and then two days later, that turns into the TV ad, and then the TV ad gets the story. I mean, another example of that with the Michaels case is, all right, the, the Michaels Corporation, and this is one of the attacks that I think has created a lot of bad feelings throughout the state. The Michaels Corporation is a really good company. You know, people who work for the Michaels Corporation love it. it it's a nationwide company, 8,000 employees, good-paying jobs. People love to work there. Over the course of, what, 20-some years, they have had a handful of, of complaints for sexual harassment, okay? And this, is, this isn't just—this isn't Wisconsin. This is all across the, all across the country, but, but a handful, a handful. And anybody who knows anything about employment law would tell you over 20 years for a company this size to have five or six complaints of this nature is, is nothing. And it's not to say that these complaints aren't significant if they happened, but it, it's nothing numerically when you look at the size of the company, the scope of the company. So what happens, and what I believe happened here, is you have you know some of the anti-Michaels forces who peddled that story. They got Channel 58 to run it. I'm not sure anybody else picked it up. And then a day after they get Channel 58 to run it, then what happens is there's the immediate ad, you know, citing the Channel 58 story. It's this insidious circle that, that is out there all designed to try to, you know, trash the reputation. Now, if you want to disagree with Tim Michaels about all sorts of issues, that, that that's clear. I, I think there's a clear contrast between Tony Evers and Tim Michaels. But this attempt at character assassination, which is aided and abetted by the media, I, I think is certainly troubling. Let's talk to Joseph in Palmyra. You're on WTMJ. There's a rumor spreading, being spread by anti-Michaels people just by word of mouth that if a woman has a natural miscarriage, she'll be charged with self-induced abortion and end up in prison. That's how bad it's gotten. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, this whole thing... The whole thing is out of control, and the, the, the abortion issue is one which has really been used to try to demonize Republicans and things like that. No, I haven't, I haven't, heard, that one. I haven't heard that one yet, but I've got to tell you, Joseph, I, I'm, I'm not surprised because I, I'm fully expecting that if the polls remain as close as they, they, they are and the election looks as close, I'm fully expecting by this time next week we're going to have hear stories about how, how Tim Michaels is you know, beheading people in his backyard or something like that. You know, I, I, I will put— I think they will stoop to almost anything in this case to try to, to try to trash this guy. See, I have a, I have a relative by marriage that is from Madison and is uh, very strong in Democrat politics. And according to her, there are going to be dead women in back alleyways all around Wisconsin 
Yeah. Unbelievable. You just have to take trucks and pick them up. Yeah. Well, th- thanks. Well, I mean, again, that's, I mean, we might talk about that later on today or certainly tomorrow. I mean, this is the, the this has been, and we'll, we'll know in, well, you know, two weeks from now, we'll know whether this strategy worked. The, if you look at most of the polling, you know, the, the issues that are front of mind for most voters are the economy, given what's going on, um, Crime is certainly the, those are, are probably the the two biggest issues, and then you've got um, things like abortion, which which look I understand it's really important for some people, but that's like seventh or eighth. Well, pretty much if you're a Democrat nowadays, given what's going on in the economy, you, you can't run on the economy, and you can't run on inflation, and you sure can't run on the crime issues. So you have all this that's being invested in abortion and things like that. I have believed from the beginning that that is only going to carry you so far. Now, I might be wrong. I, I might be wrong, but, but I don't think so. But that's why you see like one out of, what was it, the, the numbers are staggering, like more than one out of every three ads are, are focused on abortion. And this is the national strategy, you know, to try to tie all Republicans into exactly that. You know, they want to, you know, cause, cause women to, you know, die in the alleys and things like that. Now, I don't believe that that's going to overcome, you know, the concerns about the other issues, like I say, inflation, the economy, crime, you know, but but who who knows how that's going to do? And I, I look, I, I appreciate that politics isn't beanbag. I, I get it. You're going to have those different attacks that are out there. But you look at this stuff and you say, all right, people in the media object to the term fake news. I get it. And, and I think Trump overused that phrase, and I'm even hesitant to use the phrase because whenever you say that, it immediately brings up the images of Donald Trump. But the, these stories are, are, are just—they are ultimately—they are fake news. Tim Michaels called the police to do a welfare check on his wife. Why is that a story, for God's sake? Economists say Tim Michaels' flat tax idea would only benefit the rich. Tim Michaels doesn't have a flat tax idea. All Tim Michaels says is, I'm open to discussing anything. I'm going to get really smart tax people together. We're going to figure out how we're going to lower the burden, the tax burden on Wisconsin residents. But no, you don't want to write a story about that because people might say, hey, that's a good idea. He wants to lower our taxes. It's, oh, this is what's going to happen. It's only going to benefit the rich. It just makes your head explode. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, if you want to talk about a news blackout, the fact that the Evers Parole Commission, which, all right, now if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 the Evers Parole Commission, matter of fact, I sent this note, that continues to release dangerous people, people who've done horrible things. It continues to release dangerous people who should be behind bars um, without notifying the victims' families. They're still doing that. They did it a couple weeks ago with yet another guy. So, I mean, those are, those are stories. You would think that those would be the kind of headline things, but no, that doesn't support what the agenda is. So we get, we get all this other stuff. Economists say Tim Michael's flat tax idea would only benefit the rich. He doesn't have a flat tax idea, despite what the headline writers might tell you. And you know... You know that this headline in the story I'm looking at, you know it is going to turn up on an ad that's going to be paid for by the Democrats probably in the next day or two. Tim Michaels hates the poor people. This is his flat tax idea. He doesn't have a flat tax idea. But, of course, you know, we don't care about fairness. We want to promote fake news. (music) 
Another day, another return to the wild, wild west. You could do this story every day. And matter of fact, it's going to dovetail into something we're going to talk a little bit later on about about crime. But uh, Milwaukee homicide, man killed near 49th and Clark. The Milwaukee Police Department is investigating a homicide that occurred this morning near 49th and Clark. It happened shortly after midnight. So this is when last night, early in this morning, a man died at the scene. The age of the victim has not been determined at this time. But here's the story. Police say more than 20 bullet casings were found at the scene. And this is, what do we do? We talked about the one yesterday where there were like 100 bullet casings that were found. What you're seeing with the level of violence here, it's not just, it's not just murders. Okay, it's not just somebody shooting somebody else. These are full-out-and-out gun battles that are going on. These are like the Godfather movie where Sonny gets killed at the toll booth on the causeway, where there's just people firing and firing and firing. And this is happening all the time. You know, the people that are out there, the, the little girl that, that died, the 12-year-old, now you've got the 17-year-old has been charged with that. They, they find all these bullet casings over there. They just open up and start firing indiscriminately. And this is what is going on on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And the truth of the matter is it's getting worse, not better. These aren't even like targeted homicides or here it's, it's a where we get upset and we get angry. And so somebody pulls out the gun and fires a shot. No, this is here. We're going to fire shot after shot after shot after shot after shot. I mean, it really it is like a war zone. You'd expect to see some of this stuff on the front lines in Ukraine, for goodness sakes. And yet it happens on a daily basis in the city of Milwaukee, and nobody has any sorts of ideas as to how to deal with it. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But on a lighter note, how do they do it? So Sunday morning, I'm reading, what was I reading? I I was either the Washington Post or the New York Times. Yeah, I read the New York Times on Sunday morning, so you don't have to. And, And I see there's that the guy who wrote the book, The Paper Chase, the name is John J. Osborne. You might be familiar with The Paper Chase. It was it was a 1973 movie, and it's about, and then it became a, a not-so-good TV show a little bit later on. But The Paper Chase is about a, a guy, and it's, it's a fictional account, but it's based on the author's kind of experiences uh, at his first year at Harvard Law School. And as somebody who wanted to, to be a lawyer all his life and went to law school and stuff, I mean, I, I could remember, I'm sure I, I read it, I saw the movie, starred John Houseman, you know, you'd probably be familiar with that. If, if not, you should, it's a little bit dated when you watch it again, but it's still, it's a really good movie. So the guy that wrote the book in 1971, his name is John J. Osborne, he passed away. So I, I was reading and I said, oh, he, he passed away. And I thought, okay. I started thinking, boy, I'm, I'm sure, I know I read the book, The Paper Chase, I'm sure back in the 70s, but I thought, you know, I, I, I'd like to read it again. So, I mean, here's a book that came out in 1971. It was reissued like about 20 years ago or so. I, think, I said, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to read it again. Now, I guess there's a couple things I could have done. I could have gotten in the car. I could have driven, oh, about 10 miles to the bookstore that is closest to me. I could have gone in and said, hey, I'm looking for a copy of the book, The Paper Chase, 1971. And they would, they would have obviously not had it at whatever bookstore I went to. And they said, well, we can order. They would have said, we can order it and we can have it shipped to you or, you know, we can, you know, you can come in and pick it up. I, I, that was one route to go. What I did, though, is I said, no, I'm just kind of curious. So I go on I go on Amazon, go on my account. I put in Paper Chase, John J. Osborne. What comes up? They've got the book, and it says we can have it delivered to you by 3 o'clock today. This is, or the delivery is going to be between like 3 and 6. Now, this is a Sunday morning, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you know, this is, is a book 
that goes back 50 years that's, um, you know, the, the most recent edition and update is probably from 20 years ago. It is an obscure book, I think, certainly. I mean, I'm not sure it was a bestseller or not, but it's certainly an obscure book. And it doesn't seem to me there can be too much demand for this. But but here you have this guy, you know, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who orders it. So I'm thinking, I can have—there's no way, there is no way that Amazon can deliver this book to me, you know, by by the end of the day, on a Sunday, I, I, there's no way they can do it. So, but I'm now curious about this, and I want the book, so I, I order it. Same day delivery. I'm a member of Amazon Prime, so you don't have to pay extra for the thing. You know, I mean, you, you pay the, the, the yearly fee, but it doesn't cost you anything extra to order the book. So I order the book, this obscure book, 50 years old. I ordered it from the paper chase, and and sure as heck, five o'clock in the afternoon, the Am- the guy who's whoever's driving this pulls up and drops off this book on my doorstep. I mean, I ordered it like at 8 o'clock in the morning or 8.30 in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning or whenever. I order it, and then this obscure book is at my house a couple hours later. And I remember just sitting there thinking, how, how can they possibly do this? I mean, how can you find this obscure book and get it and not only find it, have it in some sort of stock and then get it to me in, in just a matter of hours? Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. This this is the future. And, and look, I just don't know how brick and mortar, a lot of brick and mortar retailers, I don't know how they're, they're going to do it. Now, I understand for some stuff like clothing and all that you, that you want to try on and things like that, you're, you're still going to want to go there. But for people that provide these types of, of goods, you know, especially the stuff, I mean, it's one thing if you want to, I want to go pick up toothpaste or whatever, you go to the grocery store, you go to the drugstore or something like that, and, and you can get that there. But for the stuff that you might have to wait for, I swear, I just don't understand how anybody is going to be able to compete with Amazon. And yeah, I like to support some of the local businesses that are around, but the convenience and the ability they have to deliver stuff in in hours obscure stuff in hours that you would otherwise have to wait days for. I think to the extent that they can continue this, that this is definitely the wave of the future. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I mean, have, have you seen this and have you seen it in your life? And is it making it more and more difficult for you to consider going to at least some sort of brick and mortar stores? And the answer to me is, is absolutely yes. I cannot... I mean, if I'm if I'm in a shopping mall or something and I, I browse through a bookstore, I, I might. But for again, hey, this looks like an interesting book. The author just died. I, I'm not going to go searching for it. I, I'm going to do exactly what I did, which is order it and get it delivered to me a couple hours later. I don't know how they do it, but they're doing a great job of it. And it seems to me this is clearly the wave of the future. How are are you finding the same thing or? Are you having a different experience? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. I guess I just don't know how they do it. And it's this incredible business model. If you're just tuning in, I was telling a story about how I, I, I Sunday morning, I, I'm reading an obituary of a guy who wrote this book, The Paper Chase, from 50 years ago. And I'm thinking, boy, I haven't read that in probably 45 years. I, I'd like to pick it up. I go on Amazon. They've got it. They say they'll deliver it by the end of the day. I'm thinking there's no way they're going to find this book. And sure as heck, you know, by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, it is delivered to my doorstep. It's just 
It's amazing that they are able to do this, and I just honestly don't know how a lot of stores are going to be able to compete. Let's start with Jason in Kenosha. Jason, good afternoon. I, I completely agree. Thanks for taking my call, sure. Jeff. Um, I I ordered, I placed an order last night and said it was going to be on my doorstep by 8 a.m. I mean, this was at 8 o'clock last night. I, I also did that with a backpack I was ordering for my daughter. Yeah. I ordered at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, and it was on my doorstep by five thirty, six o'clock <laughs> on the same day. It I was did. unbelievable. I just, I mean, I mean, I know they've got a fulfillment center in Wisconsin and stuff, but, but the idea that you can find that that the particular backpack you want, they have it, they have it, and then they can find it, pull it off, however they have it stored, and get it to delivered to your house in a matter of hours. I, I just, it, it completely and totally changes the way people shop. I'm not, I'm not sure how they do it, but no. I've also ordered T-shirts for my kids. And, you know, either doesn't fit or it wasn't the right thing. And they tell me I, I don't have to send it back. I, yeah. I just don't get it. I, I, no, so, I thanks don't. for taking my call. No, thanks for the call, Jason. No, I, I, I appreciate that. Jeff, it's funny you're talking about this. We ordered a blood pressure cuff monitor yesterday around 3 p.m. from Amazon. They should said it should be there between 5 to 10 p.m. with no charge for shipping. It was on our porch by 6.30. It's just crazy. How do they do it? I have... I have no idea how they do it. <laughs> Let's talk to Lucy on the West Side. Hi, Lucy. Hi there. Um, I think some of the way they do it is by mistreating their workers, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, can I mention a store by name? Sure. Okay. Boswell Books is going to be in business despite Amazon because of their customer service. Now, right. I order from Amazon. I always call Boswell first to see if they have it. If they don't have it, and especially with older books like what you mentioned with the paper chase, they'll say, go on and go to Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not going to be able to get it for you soon. It will cost more money. But if it's a new book and they've got it, I'll go up there. Because going to Boswell is a social experience. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, And you can sit down and read. They've got sofas. There's a Starbucks next door. After you go for a while, the people kind of get to know you. That whole Downer Avenue neighborhood, right. which is not my neighborhood, is is sort of a local hangout. But they really knock themselves silly on customer service. Right, and that's what also I think businesses are going to have to do. I, moving forward, yep. that that's what they're going to have to do. Make it something special to you know to overcome the, the convenience factor. And yeah, and that, that's exactly what. I mean, I understand there's a social sort of thing that we're there, and I'm not anti-bookstore at all. I, I love bookstores. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. I, I also, I, I, if I want something, I love being able to get it in a couple hours without a hassle. Right. No. It's so so if a, if a brick-and-mortar business wants to stay in business, they're going to have to find their niche market and do good customer service. Yeah, no, you're ex- you're exactly right. That's the challenge that's moving there. Jeff, last Friday, I had to go to Target and Kohl's. While I was there, I also looked for some squish mallow toys that I wanted, and then I moved on and went to Hallmark and Farm and Fleet. None of the stores had what I wanted. I went home, I ordered them on Amazon, and they came on Sunday. <laughs> it's okay, this is Friday. A box of five, just the size I wanted. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, we've got Drew in Wakana. Drew, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? Yeah, I was just telling your uh, screener, I had the same thing with trying to find parts. A lot of times you're trying to find a special screw where I was looking for a part for a toilet that I had. Right. And uh, I went to Menards and Home Depot, and they didn't have it. So then I went on Amazon, and they had the exact part. And 
I ordered it, and the same thing like you did. I, mean, I got it, ordered it like at noon. They said it would be delivered, you know, sometime that evening. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And a guy pulled up and dropped it off. And said, I don't know what other store he got it from besides, you know, Bernard's or Home Depot, but he dropped it off. I was able to fix it. And, you know, like the one other guy was saying before, too, there's times when I've ordered a part like that that's been 10 or $15, and maybe I've ordered enough stuff where, you know, I get it, and I want to return it. I start going to do the return, and they just send back a right. and say, don't worry about it. $15, no big deal. We'll need it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, the other stores, you can't compete with that. I mean, even the mom-and-pop hardware stores, I'd love to go to them and right. patronize them. But I can the use hardware and that, but... Right. When it's a part I really need. Oh yeah, you know, I I got to do what I got to do. Yeah, well, that's and thanks to call Drew. I mean, for example, I have our the the furnace I have. It, it maybe you know maybe you could use it. The, the furnace filters I use are kind of these sort of the kind of these high end sort of furnace filters. My local hardware store that I would typically go, they don't carry them, and so I mean, but but they have them on Amazon, and so rather than go on. Like an expedition, I'm, I'm sure if, if I drove around to enough places, I'm sure I could find the particular type of, of you know, furnace filter that I use. I, I'm sure it's out there, but I, I mean, I want easy. If I could just go to my local hardware store and stop in on my way to work and, and pick up a couple, I'd do it, but they don't carry them. So, I, it's, but Amazon does. So, I, I mean, I just go on Amazon and you order it. And then that next day or maybe a day later, whatever, it's typically not an emergency situation. I, I get the, the furnace filters that are relatively obscure. They come in. It's to your point, too, about, you know, when you're talking about, well, this was an obscure screw that was out there. Jeff, I really I not only marvel at their ability to deliver quickly and almost always on time, but they really have almost anything you might be looking for. I was just able to order a special support for a crib. It was the exact one for that crib. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, it 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 is. It, it's unbelievable. I um, you know, people are saying we were talking about the story. And I think I read one of the texts where the person was saying that they went and they um they looked all over and then they found it on Amazon and it ended up being cheaper. It, it's the it's the same thing, and I don't know how they do it. I. I like a particular type of coffee, and uh, and I don't think of myself as a coffee snob, but at home, I, I like it comes from the Café du Monde, which is a, a famous cafe in New Orleans. It's coffee with chicory. I happen to like it. And I, if you order it directly from the Café du Monde, it takes, well, I mean, it, it takes maybe a week to get, and it's a certain price. I order it through Amazon, and it comes two days later, and it's cheaper. Again, I don't, I don't know how the business model works, but it does. Let's talk to Ron in Clintonville. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for taking my call. Sure. Hey, uh, I kind of disagree with part of your premise of it's a great business model. Okay, tell me why. I work, uh, for, the, I work for the post office up here in central Wisconsin, and we're having Amazon come every day and bring pallets full to us to deliver for them. And you're not getting it same day, next day, even if you have Prime. And if you're in an urban area, mm-hmm. it's great where you have a large uh, yeah. distribution center. But up here, it's not what you think it is. Hmm. Um, so, so you're telling me don't move out into the sticks because <laughs> I might not be able to get the same service. Is that it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. I, you you yeah. can get the you can get it. I mean, I obviously I order on Amazon too, and I can get anything. 
but yeah. you're not going to get it in this timely fashion that you're thinking. Yeah, well, and it's yeah. not going to come through Amazon. It's coming through the post office. Right, that it gets delivered. Well, I, I guess that'll be the question. Will be as Amazon gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful. Do they do they expand out so that that they're able to you know service some of the more rural areas and stuff with the same service you get around here? No, thanks, I appreciate it. I mean, and and again, if. I, if if you if you don't get this, I mean, again, I I understand if if you're living in the middle of a rural area and you the, you can't get the same degree of service, I, I appreciate that, and maybe that causes you. But my guess is, if you're going to go to the local bookstore, you're you're not going to be able to find a copy of the Paper Chase any any sooner than Amazon is. I, and again, I'm not look, I'm not I don't own stock in Amazon or anything like that. I was just amazed at this, Jeff. Um, get this, I ordered two wedding welding shields. A uh, wedding shield. I ordered. Oh, I ordered two welding shields for my welding helmet at 10 a.m. on Saturday. They said I would have it that day. One showed up at 5 p.m., but only one. The other one showed up two hours later. It had to cost more than my $8 order. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> you know that's that, that 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 that's kind of it too. I mean, how much are we paying these delivery drivers and things? Jeff, Amazon has probably saved the U.S. Post Office from going. Um, bankrupt um yeah let's see one of the um one of our our texters takes um takes issue with one of our callers lucy who said "Ah, they they get it by abusing their employees jeff amazon gives that service by abusing their employees okay a friend of mine in his early 60s works at amazon in the huge pleasant prairie fulfillment center maintaining the hundreds thousands of robots in the facility he says it's the best job that he has ever had um, I don't, I don't take any preference of this, you know, one way or the other. I'm just all I'm saying is I can't believe they do what they do and how they do it. And I'm not encouraging people not to patronize local stores. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I was just amazed and blown away that you know you you could have this this done. And I like to patronize the local stores, and I try to do that all the time. And I can buy dog food and stuff from Amazon, but there, there's a pet store that I love that's like right down the street from me. So we patronize the, the pet store because I, I want to keep the local places in business. But at the same time, I guess I'm selfish enough to say I also want want what I want when I want. And I'm even willing to pay a little bit. Um, and if I can pay for less for it, that's all the better. All right, we're moving on. Lots of stuff coming up in the one o'clock hour of the program. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay. Uh, I don't think you need to have a particularly clear crystal ball to to see this coming. I mean, the the big sports news is that... uh, Team president, former general manager, David Stern, stepping down from his role at the Brewers. And, and the way it's being spun today is that, well, he's he, he's going to be a consultant. He's just kind of pulling back and all. And that's, uh, first of all, I, I don't fault it, but let's let's understand what's going to go going on. Um, the, the New York Mets, which have the wealthiest owner in all of baseball, are based, of course, in New York, which is where Stearns is from. The president of the team um, is stepping down. Matter of fact, they announced in September that Sandy Alderson was going to be stepping down, stepping down from his position as team president when his successor is found. Um, when the search is complete, 
Alderson, 74, will hand over the day-to-day oversights of the Mets and transition into a special advisor role for the team's leadership group. Okay, that's a story out of the New York Times on September 22nd. What do you want to bet? What is the over-under? Let's say, I don't know, 60 days? How long is it before David Stearns is announced as the new president of the New York Mets? And by the way, I don't fault him for that. I mean, I think this is... I, I will just say this, I will be stunned, absolutely stunned, if we are sitting here at the end of next year's baseball season and David Stearns is not back in baseball at a at a quote-unquote wealthier club or whatever. And that takes nothing away from his accomplishments, and you don't begrudge him any, but this is, I mean, I think clearly this is, it, it's time, he's decided it's time for him to move on, and my guess is there's all sorts of great opportunities there, and I think he gets credit for, you know, building up the Brewers and getting them in a consistent playoff position. I think if you look at the team right now, there are challenges. You, you again, play in one of the smallest markets in baseball, so you've got financial limitations that are there. You've got a team that needs to be, I don't think you want to say rebuilt, but let, let, let's face it, this year they clearly underperformed. And, I mean, think about the Brewers roster. Think about the position players. There's there's like one or two Adamas that you know clearly you you would you would keep they would be must keepers you got to keep Christian Yelich because nobody's going to take him with all the money that they're spending but otherwise I, I don't know that there's any position on the team that you would say isn't you know worthy of being upgraded and there's some you got to find a third baseman you got to find a catcher you, you've got to replace this and I, I think the Brewers they're now in the staging and you don't want to re- say the phrase rebuilding necessarily but. All right, there's 15 teams in the National League. They finished with the, what, seventh best record, and um, they've got a lot of financial challenges. And I think this is, I I think Stearns probably looked at this and said, huh, you know, I I don't know that we can sustain what we've had over the last several years. You know, moving forward, they might have to take a step or two back. I hope that doesn't happen, but it's a reality. And I think he figured, okay, now's, now's the time to turn over the reins to somebody else. So, don't think there's any problem with that. If he was going to do this, I wish he would have done it before he made the disastrous decision to trade to trade Josh Hader. And I think everybody feels that way, but um, that's just me. In any event, I, I wish him him well. When I had the opportunity to interview him during our opening day shows, he was always very, very gracious and things like that. And I wish him well. I think he'll probably go on to be incredibly successful. But I think it's pretty clear he used Milwaukee as a stepping stone to, to something else. And that that's that's all well and good. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. And I, I said at the beginning of the program, sometimes on these shows, there there is a particular order. And the way I arrange the topics, I it's like, okay, this is going to flow into this, and this is going to flow into that, and we'll start off heavy, and we'll finish up light or whatever. And that's, for some reason, that's not the way today's show is, 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 <laughs> is shaping up. It's just there's a whole bunch of stuff that interests me that I, I want to discuss, and some is more serious than others, and some is more important than others. And I want to start off this hour— by talking about something that I flat out do not understand. And I, I, I like to think that I, I understand human nature and understand the way the world works and stuff, but there is, is some stuff that I do not understand. And one of those things is the McRib sandwich. I do not understand the McRib sandwich. Now, I bring this up because perhaps you have seen the advertisements. M- McDonald's. And, and God bless the marketing people at McDonald's. McDonald's is bringing back the McRib sandwich. October 31st, they are bringing it back. But but here's, here's the way they're bringing it back. They're calling it the Farewell Tour. In-store posters have an image of the um, McRib sandwich, 
with the phrase, this could be your last bite. Now, McDonald's saying this is the last time they're bringing this back is like Kiss or the Rolling Stones or the Eagles saying we're doing our farewell tour. You know, and that's exactly what this is. Because, you know, just like Kiss is always going to be back and the Rolling Stones are going to be back when Mick Jagger is 95 and the the Eagles, it doesn't matter whether some of them die or not, they're all going to be back. This is just the case. So let's understand the hype. The McRib sandwich is not going to be going anywhere. They they bring it back typically sort of once a year. But this is is the farewell tour for this, which, okay— but that's, I guess, not the bigger point. My point with this isn't whether this is the farewell tour. And it, it's, I do not understand the fascination with the McRib sandwich. Now, first of all, it is not a rib sandwich. It, if, if you read the descriptions of, of this, it's, it, it's like a meat slab. They, they say it, it might be like pork shoulder. It's not ribs. It's like pork meat shoulder and some other sorts of meat, and they form it into a patty to make it look like it's ribs. But it's not ribs. It has nothing to do with ribs. And then they take it and they put it, that you mix water with it, and you put a lot of salt. If I was pulling up the numbers today, if if you are one McRib sandwich is 40% of your daily recommended consumption of salt. <laughs> I mean, it's it's 40% for the one sandwich. And so you've got the, the sort of the mystery meat, and it's formed to look like ribs. But again, it has nothing to do with ribs. And then, you know, you cover it with that barbecue sauce, and you put it on that really, really heavy, dense bun, and, and people, people line up to buy it. There's a story in the Washington Post that caught my attention about this and got me researching McRib sandwiches. The headline is, the McRib is a toxic boyfriend, and we need to stop backsliding. If the McRib were our collective boyfriend, everyone would be telling us to ditch him. (laughs) It's written by a woman named Emily Hall. When someone repeatedly threatens to leave but then keeps showing up, isn't that a toxic relationship? Um, I mean, our friends and cardiologists might tell us he's bad for us in other ways, too, but let's stick with the trust issues here for a minute. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I don't get it. I, I don't, but I understand that whenever they bring back the McRib sandwich, there will be people that will be lined up at the drive-through to pay the, the four dollars and fifty-nine cents or five bucks or whatever it is for the sandwich. Oh, and by the way, okay, the sandwich itself is forty percent of your daily consumption of salt. Add French fries to that. You're probably talking about all the salt that you can possibly have for the day. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Let us, for one segment, discuss the McRib sandwich, because I I think this is just like women are from Venus and men are from Mars. This is you either get it or you don't. It's kind of like Jimmy Buffett. You either get it or you don't. And I, quite honestly, the McRib sandwich, I do not get, period. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Okay, it's back. The McRib sandwich is coming back. They say it's the farewell tour. You you better get it. I I just don't flat get the McRib. Here's one of the stories. Okay, McRib is somewhat of a misnomer because there is no rib meat that is used in, in the patty. McDonald's has said in the past that shoulder meat is the primary ingredient for the patty. But a deep dive into the sandwich by Chicago Magazine in 2011 claimed restructured meat products were possibly used to create what a food industry insider called a meat log. 
It's a meat log. According to the publication, the common ingredients for the restructured meat products are heart, tripe, and scalded stomach. But you, you cover it, you cover, you slather it in barbecue sauce, and you put some pickles on it, and you put some onions on it, and, and people just love it. I'm just flat out saying I don't get it. One of our texters said, I just had two for lunch today. Big order of fries and then washed it down with a Diet Coke. <laughs> right? Our number, 855-616-1620. Let's start with... Um, Let's see, Kevin in Milwaukee. Hi, Kevin. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I was just listening to um, what you were talking about, yep. and it's like McDonald's acts like this is like the best thing under the sun, and it's like it's and then they bring it back once a year, like it's something special. It's not. Uh, you can go like to pick and save, and they have these encore dinners, family size ones, and they sell the exact same fake form. <laughs> The meat logs. Yeah, a meat log. Yeah, a meat log. And then it's like, and then you can get eight of them, I think, in there. And then you can make yourself eight sandwiches and for like under $5 uh, compared to how much they're selling them for individually. Yeah. Yeah. Like four eighty nine or whatever. No, they, well, again, I, I just, yeah. I just don't, thanks to call. I, I just, I just don't understand necessarily the appeal. Jeff, um, mystery meat with overly sweet sauce. I'm, I'm voting no, um, yeah, let's see. Um, I, uh, but again, people people just kind of love it. There's one of, I, and I saw this too. It's on the internet. There's a some McDonald's employee posted a a picture of the the McRib things as they're coming out of the freezer before you like put them on the grill and stuff. And and I would say meat log, mystery meat log is probably a, a good way to describe it. I'm just, I, and if if you love it, that's that's great. I'm just saying I don't quite understand the appeal. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I'm rethinking what I said to your producer after <laughs> you told me what it's made with. But um, I've, always, I've always been a big fan of it. Um, I think, I mean, first of all, I love barbecue, and I think a lot of people do. Yeah. And I'd like to think of it as a uh, poor man's, you know, uh, barbecue pork sandwich, but as expensive as McDonald's got, I can't really say that anymore. <laughs> yeah. However... Um, yeah, I, I think it's good, and you know they are clever with their marketing because they only bring it around in the fall. And I remember the way they used to market it was, oh, barbecue season's over, but you can still get barbecue, right? You know, the McRib sandwich, right? So, but I, I like it. I, I, I find it very tasty. And um, I will be getting one uh, probably on Halloween in the daytime. Well, there you go, Mike. I mean, that, and, and again, I'm not telling people you know, not, not to buy it. I'm just saying I, I do. There, there's some stuff that I just flat don't understand. And the, the McRib sandwich is one of them. Because, again, let, let's start with the premise. It's not. I mean, I love ribs. It, it ain't ribs. <laughs> I, I'm not. I think it's, it's unclear exactly what it is other than to simply say it's a meat log. Now, I, you know, but of course, if you said the meat log sandwich is back, oh, nobody's going to buy it. So you bill it, you bill it as ribs. Um, let's see. Ken from Heartland says, um, Quick Trip, and I remember I've heard this before, Quick Trip has a much better boneless rib sandwich than McDonald's McRib sandwich, and you can get it any day of the week at the food warmers in, uh, you know, at Quick Trip. I've heard about that before. Jeff, I don't get it either. I've never had one, don't want one, and absolutely positively wouldn't wait in line to get one. But I think McDonald's is capitalizing on mainstream human nature that people often want most what's different and hardest to 
obtain. That's not me, and I suspect it's not you either. Well, my response would be it kind of depends on exactly what it was. Jeff, I had the McRib yesterday, and I'm still drinking water. (laughs) That's kind of probably the the salt thing. Um, But again, look, I'm I'm not anti-fast food. Don't get me wrong. Um, Jeff, stop being a McDonald's, stop being a McHater. It's only once a year. (laughs) Well, again, I just... I understand if you want to go out and you want to have it, that's fine. I just don't understand the appeal of it because, like I say, I like good ribs. If they were, if McDonald's was bringing ribs out there, I'm I'm down with that. But that's not what this is. This is kind of mystery meat slathered in like really sweet barbecue sauce and and put on a really really dense roll. I mean, it looks to me like it's it's kind of like a heart attack waiting to happen. But that's okay. That's okay. If you want to wait in line to do it, it's fine. I'm just saying I, I don't know, and I, I will spare you. I was going to post some of this stuff on Twitter that gives like the nutritional values and some of the stuff in it. I will. I will. I, I don't want to rain on your parade. Other than to say that if you're one of those people who you know is really into the McRib sandwich, they're back. They're back. But it is the farewell tour. This might be the final chance you get to do it. But just like whenever you hear the performer say, "This is it for me," and then they're back next year, I suspect that this is pretty much the same thing. McRib, though, back for the moment. Getting a number of texts on this, including its fighting words. It's, uh, there's some people that just wouldn't touch it with a uh, with a you know a pole, and other people are saying, "Oh, these are the greatest things in the world." And and, and again, whatever you know, find find what you want to do, and then go out at the McRib sandwich is back. I want to just follow up on something we talked about yesterday because it's one of these stories that it, it, it it's haunting. The more details that come out, told you yesterday uh, on Tuesday afternoon, five forty p.m. Horrific crash on Good Hope Road, 48th and and Good Hope. And if you're familiar with this area, Good Hope is one of the major east-west thoroughfares that people use to get from the east side or Glendale, where I grew up, and if you want to go out to the west side. 5.40 p.m., there's a car traveling eastbound on Good Hope Road, and um, the speed limit is 40 miles an hour. The car loses control, smashes into a tree, which is in the front yard of somebody's of uh, of somebody's house. And I'm now I'm now looking at the pictures. And today's TMJ four had or, or did a story. The car has split in half. The car split in half. And now they're going back and the estimates are that the car was traveling around a hundred miles an hour. Hundred miles an hour, five and and maybe those estimates are a little bit light, heavy. So let's say it was eighty miles an hour, but it's eighty, ninety, a hundred miles an hour, five forty p.m. You know, rush hour essentially. Good Hope Road, car going eastbound, loses control, smashes into the tree. It's a stolen car. Now, this isn't a police chase or anything. It's a stolen car, and you have a fourteen-year-old and two 15-year-olds that are in the car. They're all in critical condition right now. I haven't heard any updates as to, you know, whether they're going to survive or not. If they survive, and if you look at what happened to the car, if any of these three kids survive, it's going to be a flat-out miracle. But it's, again, one of these things that's representative of what is going on on just a a regular basis, and they're driving 100 miles an hour. And the only reason we're talking about this one is because, 
you know, one of the kids driving the stolen car lost control of the car at 100 miles an hour. And if you remember Tuesday, we, we had rain. So it's rainy. It's a little bit slippery. You know, that's just as it's starting to get dark. So they lose control of the car. And the only reason we're talking about this is because they're, they're now all three in critical condition and the car, like, split against the tree. But the truth is, you have people driving like this on a daily basis all over this area. And, you know, the police can't catch them. It's stolen cars. I wish somehow we could get the message out that when you do this, you really are putting your life at, at risk. And, you know, what what do you do here? You know, if they're released from the hospital, do you end up charging them criminally? Probably. But I don't know that they're ever going to get out of the hospital. But I, the bigger concern to me is it's not just the idiot punks that are driving the stolen car at 100 miles an hour, but it's, it's the fact that they put the, all the rest of us at risk because— in this case, they hit a tree, but they could have just as well hit you or me if we were driving in that area or we couldn't get out of their way. If we're driving eastbound on Good Hope and you see this car coming up behind you at 100 miles an hour, that's the problem with reckless driving. It's not just the toll it takes on the reckless drivers themselves. It's what it does to all the rest of us. There is... A piece in the Wall Street Journal written by Bill Barr. Bill Barr was the—he actually, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, he was um, he was the last attorney general that served under the first President Bush, and then he came back for a couple of years. Still, I, I kind of shook my head that he made that decision. Came back and was the final attorney general for uh, Donald Trump. He actually quit at the at the very end over a dispute. But I, I I'm a big fan of Bill Barr. I I, I, I knew him back in in the day, and I, I think. He, he's a really, really sharp guy who has established all sorts of great credentials when it comes to fighting crime. He's got a piece in today's Wall Street Journal. I want to share a portion of it with you, and then I, I want to discuss it because he's saying things that I have been saying for the longest time, but I want to get your reaction to it. Now, we all know, by the way, that against this backdrop, that, that crime— Again, it's, it's just out of control. On this program, on any given day, we'll, we'll pick a story. I was talking about the, the one, the guy that got shot uh, early this morning, and they find 20 bullet casings. We, we find the, the story about the 12-year-old girl who was shot, bullet casings all over. I mean, Milwaukee, I would describe the city of Milwaukee as the wild, wild west, but like I say, that is an insult to the wild, wild west. We have, and it's a lagging indicator, but the police department, as I remind you, uh, they put up crime maps and statistics uh, last year was an all-time record for homicides. They had 193 in the city of Milwaukee. This year, okay, that was for the whole year. This year, 185. So we have two-plus months to go, and we're already at 185. Last year, for the whole year, which was 193, which is a record, we, it was 193, which was a record. It's 185 now. And again, I don't think that that doesn't include like what happened today. I don't know if it includes the homicides yesterday. But, you know, we're at the rate we're going, we're going to hit 200 homicides before the end of October. Who knows where this will will end? And the, the levels of other crime are up dramatically as well from a couple of years ago. Crime is a big issue in the election, and it's a legitimate issue in the election because we're doing a lousy job of dealing with this. But But here's... Here's a part of uh, Barr's piece, and I want to share it with you and then discuss. Rising crime rates are a policy choice. Progressives can't solve the problem because they won't abandon the practices that caused it. Here's what he writes. The violent crime surge was preventable. 
It was caused by preventive politicians reverting to the same reckless revolving door policies that during the 60s and 70s produced the greatest tsunami tsunami of violent crime in American history. We reversed that early crime wave with tough anti-crime measures adopted during the Reagan-Bush era. We can stop this one as well. Studies have repeatedly shown that most predatory crime is committed by a small, hardcore group of habitual offenders. They are a tiny fraction of the population. I estimate roughly 1%, but they are responsible for between half and two-thirds of predatory violent crime. Each of these offenders can be expected to commit scores, even hundreds of crimes a year, frequently while on bail, probation, or parole. The only time they aren't committing crimes, wait for it, is when they're in prison. For this group, the likelihood of reoffending usually doesn't recede until they reach their late 30s or 40s. The only way to reduce violent crime appreciably is to keep this cohort off the streets. We know with certainty that for each of these criminals held in prison, there are hundreds of people who aren't being victimized. The incapacitation strategy requires laws like those in the federal system that allow judges to detain repeat offenders before trial when they pose a danger to the community and that impose tough sentences on repeat violent offenders. And then he goes through the different numbers and stuff and says, hey, look, what, what, what happened is, you know, we were... We were locking people up, and yes, the prison population increased, but that was how we made the streets safer. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. One of the frustrations that I have doing this show and talking about you know, the crime problem on a daily basis is we are ignoring what Barr is saying. That is, most people are honest, they are law-abiding, it wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to them to, to steal a car. I mean, can I see a show of hands here? If you were walking down the street of your neighborhood and you saw a car that was running in your neighbor's driveway, it's running, would it occur to you to go open the door, jump in the car, and steal it? All right. Now, my producer, Charlie, thankfully, is shaking his head. No. See, that I'm willing to bet— that, you know, of everybody, of the thousands of people who are listening right now, when I ask that question, 99 out of 100 say, of course I'm not going to do that. Now there's going to be that one out of 100 who say, well, if that stupid person is dumb enough to leave their car running in the driveway, you bet I'm going to take it. But that's the one out of 100. 99% of the people aren't going to do that because you're decent, you're honest, you're law-abiding. It wouldn't occur to you to do that. You might say, oh, that's kind of dumb in this neighborhood to do that. You are not the criminal. But for that one out of a hundred that would, they are part of the criminal element. And whether it's targets of opportunity or crimes or whatever, they are not going to be deterred. Now, look, I understand all this stuff. People talk about root causes. Well, okay, that, that's going to take generations to figure out. I'm concerned with the fact that you got 185 people who have already been murdered in the state of in the city of Milwaukee so far this year. Uh, latest car theft numbers: a little bit under 7,000. 7,000 cars, 6,900 cars stolen in the first 10 months of this year. I mean, it's just it's staggering the degree of crime. And I think Bill Barr is right that the vast majority of those crimes are being committed by the repeat offenders the people who are the criminal element, who don't care. They aren't worried about consequences. They don't care about consequences. They don't think they're going to experience consequences, and they're just going to keep doing this. And the only way to protect the rest of us is to put them in jail. 
and letting them out on low bail to give them a second or a third or a fourth chance or not sending them to prison to put them on like um, a probation or whatever to give them second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth chances. That's nuts. It does not work. Now, the question I always get when I talk about this is I say, well, okay, where are you going to put them? To which I say, okay, we're going to have to build more prisons. I, I understand that. But if you build a prison to take one of these repeat offenders and get them off the street for five years, that is tens, maybe hundreds of people who are not going to be victimized for every one of these punks, thugs, whatever, that you get off the streets. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. If I were running for governor, one of the one of the platforms of my campaign would be I am going to appoint judges who are not designed and not worried about reducing the prison population in in half. I'm going to appoint judges that are committed to getting hardcore repeat criminals off the street and keeping them off the street. And if in exchange for doing that, that means we need to hire more prison guards and we need to pay prison guards more money and we need to build more prisons, I say let's do it. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the WTMJ talk and text line, Bill Barr is right. There is a small portion of the population that commits the vast majority of the crimes. It is time to get those people off the street, and I don't care whether they're 15 years old or 55 years old, although most of them are probably between 15 and, you know, into their 30s. But there's no other alternative. Don't we deserve to be safe, and shouldn't that be the top priority? 855-616-1620, we discuss. One final, and I wish this piece I'm reading is in the Wall Street Journal, so it's behind a paywall, so I tweeted out, but you you couldn't see it. But before we get to the calls, here's one. All right, and again, Bill Barr talks about the policies, Reagan, Bush, Clinton continued it, and then, you know, the the second president, Bush, he said, okay, here's the deal. From 1991 to 2013, the total prison population in the U.S. doubled from roughly 800,000 to 1.6 million. At the same time, violent crime plummeted, dropping for 23 years. By 2014, it had been cut in half to a level not seen since 1970, and homicides of black victims were down about 5,000 a year. Nevertheless, progressives complained. Why were we imprisoning record numbers when crime was receding? They missed the point. Crime was dropping precisely because we were keeping violent criminals in prison. Progressives call this mass incarceration, but their rhetoric is deceptive. It implies people are being locked up indiscriminately. On the contrary, incapacitation is a precision strategy. It targets and uses prison space primarily for violent criminals who pose the greatest threat to safety. Yeah, why do you think that the prison prison population goes up, crime goes down? Why do you think that is? It's really, really easy. It's because the people that are out there committing crimes are behind bars, and they're not able to commit more crimes at least against people that are out on the street. Let's start with Sue in West Dallas. Hi, Sue. You're on WTMJ. 100%. My Kia was stolen last week from my well-lit backyard. They found the next day total, and I guess I'm fortunate. They they arrested the 14-year-old kid, not his first rodeo, because he's in secure detention. And I have a preliminary next week, and if he denies it or says that I gave him permission they're taking it right to trial, and I have to testify. Yeah, but okay, so this is, it's 14 years old, steals your your car, 
totals it. And like you say, it's not his first time at the rodeo. Right. And, and if, if he's convicted and he's back out on the street again or gets like a couple weeks in detention, you know darn well, Sue, that he's going to be stealing somebody else's car two weeks later. It's just what's going to happen. Over $17,000 damage in one day. Yeah, oh, wow. Exactly. Plus, plus. And I put out an inconvenience, and you're right. He probably won't stay there long. Right. He better hope that I don't have to testify because I don't think I'd be very nice. <laughs> well, th- thanks for calling. So, I appreciate your call. I mean, there, there's some people, and th- this is another thing that just makes my head explode. There are some people who call up sometimes and argue or send me texts and argue about, oh, it, it's what's the big deal about auto theft? You know, who, who cares? Well, okay, those are people that haven't had their cars stolen and haven't been put through the inconvenience of doing this. Let's talk. Talk to, let's see, Jim in Heartland. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, sir. Jeff, how are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think? I think I think he and you are right on. You get rid of the 1% and put them behind the bars where they belong, and we have a much safer city. More people would come into it. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have a problem walking to a Bucks game there's so much damage being caused to our economy because people don't want to go downtown. Yeah. Or they don't want to go into a big event. Right. And, It'd and be safer for all. Right. And, and see, the thing, Jim, is we, that you get the impression that in high-crime areas, whether it's the city of Milwaukee or, or wherever, that everybody's a crook. And, and they're not. It's really only a small percentage of people who are committing a disproportionate amount of crime. And that's why that, that 1% or, or 2% or half a percent or whatever, you need to get them off the damn streets. Because unless you do that, there's no way to protect the rest of us because they're going to continue to commit crime after crime after crime. And how do you put a dollar value on life? Absolutely. Loved ones lost because of these people. Well, right, or, or just the stress. You heard my first caller, Sue. I mean, her, her car gets ripped off from her from behind her house last week. It's totaled $17,000 worth of damage. She's, viol- you know, there's that violation of having something stolen. You've got to go through the hassle of trying to replace the car, all that type of stuff. You know, and, and it's always going to haunt her. That's, you know, anybody who's been a crime victim is constantly haunted by this type of stuff. Now, th- thanks for the call. That, that's it. it you know, you, you say, well, how can we afford to put people in prison? My point is, and Barr's point is, and it's backed up by the statistics, is we can't not afford to put people in prison. And I think if we started doing that, some people say you, you, can't, you can't incarcerate your way out of these problems. Nuts to that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You take that element of society that is the hardcore criminal and you put them, get them out of commission. You warehouse them. And yes, I understand that there is a cost to that, but how do you measure it to the point that you were making, Jim? How do you measure that against the, the social cost that is out there of, of not putting these people in prison? Let's talk to Diane downtown. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Hi Diane. Uh, it's always a pleasure listening to your show. You. You're such a clear thinker. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, Some people might disagree, no. but I appreciate that. Thank you very much. No, you're the t- you're the best. Um, I, I say lock them up and throw away the key, build the prisons, get them off the streets. And uh, they're just a horror to society. But, you know, the previous story about the uh, three mm-hmm. teenagers of 14 and two 15 years old uh, that hit a tree and split the car in two, mm-hmm. 
my guess is they were taken to freighter to the trauma center and uh, they're hospitalized now and i thought about this many times before you know the bill at freighter must be absolutely staggering mm-hmm. staggering i'm sure that they don't have hospitalization and you know uh, and guess who's paying for that yeah. that bill at freighter yeah. the taxpayer us yeah no so there's another angle that right mm-hmm. well no thanks for, no you're right and, and it's, it's not just them no you're you're right but it's it's i mean think of think of how those stories normally turn out typically those stories involve the stolen car that 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 runs through the red light and it hits and it severely injures or it kills the, the innocent person it, it kills the, the the father the the husband and wife who are on on the on the road what was the story from downtown a week or two ago remember the the, the pastor at uh, grace lutheran nine o'clock in the morning just dropped off his um just dropped off his daughter he's driving somebody driving like 85 miles an hour down well street blowing through red light after red light that hits and, and kills him normally or at least a lot of times it's the it's the innocent people who are victimized as well so you've got that cost that is out there look here, here's the bottom line of this I think most people are basically good. I, I really do. And that's why I started off this by saying I, I think for the vast majority of us, you know, it wouldn't occur to us to steal that car that's running. It wouldn't occur to us to get a gun and walk into a 7-Eleven and stick that gun in somebody's face and steal the money. It, it wouldn't occur to us to commit those crimes. Most of the crimes are being committed by a small percentage of people. But why don't we recognize that for that small percentage of people that is out there committing crimes, we won't tolerate it. We're not going to put up with this. And what we're going to do is we're going to get them off the street to protect the rest of us. That's how you end up dealing with this. Bill Barr, in my opinion, is absolutely right with this. And, and it's not mass incarceration. It is a targeted strategy to get the people who need to be incarcerated to get them off the streets and make it safer for everybody. And, you know, then then we don't have to worry about, well, is crime out of control? Is it a perception? Is it a reality? Nothing, nothing like that. Get the criminal element off the street, keep them off the street, and then maybe you'll actually even deter some other people from com- continuing to commit crimes. But I don't care if you've still got, if there's another generation of criminals that come up that are in that 1%, get them off the street as well. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Uh, political update. And, and again, I understand people are skeptical when it comes to polls. And particularly over the last several years, you've seen Republican interests be underrepresented in polls. And, and that's questioned some of the validity. But you look at some of these polls that are out there, and it really does look like you're, you're looking at a red November in less than two weeks. Um, in Wisconsin, I think it's pretty clear now that Democrats have pretty much written off the, the Ron Kine seat. Right now in Wisconsin, there's eight congressional seats um, three are held by Democrats, five are held by Republicans. Ron Kind, who is a vanishing breed of politician, sort of what I would describe as a moderate Democrat, he is retiring. This is the third congressional district, which is western Wisconsin. And um, the Republican candidate who ran against Kind and almost knocked him off two years ago, Derek Van Orden, he is by all accounts way ahead of the Democrat Brad Faf, who is is running, and, and the best indication, it's not just the polls. You always follow the money, 
and National Democrats had reserved about a million dollars for the last couple of weeks of the campaign that they were going to put into it. They've now pulled that money. And so I think that the general sense is if you follow the money, which I always recommend people doing, and you see one party or the other just kind of pull out, it pretty much indicates that they've just decided that putting more money into a race, you either do it for one or two reasons. You do it because you, you pull money because your guy doesn't need it because he's so far ahead, or alternatively, your guy or gal can't win. So, you know, why why spend a million bucks if, that you could use somewhere else? And so I think that's what you're seeing. That's why I, I think, well, let me give you some of the polls that are out there to the extent you believe them. This is, um, the U.S. Senate right now is 50-50. And, and it, it's, it's, it's a razor-thin margin. There are more Republicans seats that are up for grabs than Democrats. So that's an advantage for the Democrats, but it's, it's not playing out that way. One of the seats um, where it's very, very contentious is in Georgia. Republicans nominated Herschel Walker, who is, I think it would be fair to say, he's very, very well known, but somewhat of a flawed candidate. And yesterday there was another story about a woman in 1993 who says that she was his girlfriend and he got her pregnant and, you know, he drove her and paid for her abortion or something like that. This is the second woman who's come forward and said that, but that's 30 years ago. And I, I think how much traction that has remains to be seen. But the most recent poll, the ones that came out yesterday, actually has Walker ahead by five points. Now, I think that strikes me as a little bit large, but he's 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 ahead of his Democrat opponent who won uh, the seat two years ago in a special election, um, Warnock, who's a, he's a He's a pastor who has his own problems. He's accused of, like, trying to run over his wife. So, uh, But Herschel Walker is leading in that seat. If, if Walker would somehow win Georgia, and he might very well because the, the governor of Georgia, who's up for re-election, Kemp, who kind of got on the wrong side of Donald Trump because he wouldn't go down that, that election rabbit hole. Kemp is ahead by 10 points over his challenger, Stacey Abrams. And, and if Kemp wins by 10 points, you would think that there might be some coattails. Ohio? which was a seat that Democrats were targeting. You've got um, Vance, who is the guy that wrote the, the Hillbilly Elegy book, um, endorsed by Trump. He's now starting to pull ahead. He's ahead by five points in the latest poll that I am looking at. In um, Florida, you've got Marco Rubio, who's way ahead. You've got DeSantis in the governor race, who is way ahead. In Arizona, you've got the Republican who, um, running for governor. She's way ahead. The um, Senate race is just deadlocked. I tweeted this out yesterday as well. New poll in the Johnson-Barnes race, which is it's a Democrat poll, um, and it has uh, Johnson up by five points. I think there might be a Marquette Law School poll coming out tomorrow for some reason, but the everything I'm being told is that it's about a four to six point race at, at this point in time. And um, if the Marquette poll shows anything other than that, there's going to be some issues with it. And and Michaels and Evers, it's just, it's a toss up, you know, just, just pick them. Um, the momentum seems to be with Michaels, but it, it's, it's just extremely close. But anyhow, it, it's looking like a, a Republican wave is, is starting. And I think it's all because you, you've got issues with the economy. During our newscast, you heard Alex play the news about Joe Biden saying, oh, the economy's going great guns. And, you know, and, and actually today you had, you know, you had some moderately good economic news, moderately good. But but Joe Biden is out there trying to convince people that everything's going great in the economy. Well, 
folks just got their quarterly, you know, statements from their retirement accounts. And if you had were brave enough to look at that, you, you recognize how much money that you have seen just disappear over the course of the last quarter, over the course of the last year. Um, every time you drive to work or you drive your kids to school, you go past the gas stations. And, and I guess I'm at a point where do I like $3.65 gallon of gas better than I like $4 gallon? Yeah, but I still don't like $3.65 a gallon gas. So, you know, Joe Biden's trying to sell people on the idea that, oh, the economy is just going great guns. I don't think anybody's buying that. And that's a huge weight around the neck of Democrats who are running. So you've got 10 or 11 days left before the election. Lots of stuff can happen. Turnout is dramatic. But there's definitely every election, you, you, you have it, what I call an enthusiasm gap. There's one side that is more motivated than the others. 2010. The first midterm election after Barack Obama got elected, Republicans were motivated to go out and vote. Those were the Tea Party years, and they pretty much swept everything. 2018, the first midterm, uh, the midterm with Donald Trump, uh, you had Democrats that were just motivated to run through brick walls, and they wanted to vote against anybody who had an R after their name because, you know, they didn't like Donald Trump. And it succeeded in getting Tony Evers elected. Otherwise, I'd, that and marijuana referendums— um, otherwise, I don't think there's any way Tony Evers beats Scott Walker. But he does because you have that enthusiasm gap. This year, the enthusiasm gap is, I think, clearly on the Democrat side. And that's why even if you look at the tone of coverage pretty much all over, people are expecting that red wave. Now, who knows what's going to ultimately happen in an election, but at least a week and a half before the election looks like Republicans are poised to take back control of both the House and the Senate. And if that happens, it's going to be a really interesting two years leading into the presidential race in 2024. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I will explain. We will discuss. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Remember a few years ago, one of the, the things, one of the hip and trendy things, the, the innovations, kind of like when I was a kid growing up, they used to have the cartoon show The Jetsons, and there was this, this idea that by this time, by, by 2022, we wouldn't be driving in cars that rode on the roadways. You know, we'd be all kind of like George and Judy Jetson, you know, um, Jane, his wife. We'd, we'd all be driving in the cars, the hovercrafts that went up, and we'd be driving. That, that's how we do it. Well, okay, we're still not living in the Jetsons world right now. But a few years ago, one of the big pushes was, look, we're we're going to have cars. They might be electric cars, but we're going to have cars. But the cars are all going to be self-driving. We're going to have these self-driving, these automated cars. That's going to be the wave of the future. You're not going to have to worry. And we're going to be able to do deliveries. We're going to have all these vehicles. And and you're not going to need drivers. and, And boom, that's going to make our life a lot better. All right. Yesterday, Ford said it was disbanding Argo AI, an autonomous vehicle company it jointly owns with Volkswagen. Executives said they didn't see a path to profit on fully autonomous vehicles, and it's now going to focus on automated driver assist systems, you know, like the things that you have in the cars now that tell you if you're deviating from lane to lane. But Ford, apparently after announcing this this aggressive idea that we're going to move to the self-driving cars. They invested about $500 million. They're, they're writing it off. 
<laughs> they're, they're, they're writing it off, just saying it's not going to work. Ford said that they and Volkswagen would hire many of the 2,000 employees who work for Argo, and they'll try to keep some of their employees. The automaker said it determined that large-scale commercialization of self-driving vehicles will be further out than originally anticipated. But yet they say, hey, customers like some of these driver assist systems, and what we're going to do is we're going to work on, on that, which you know I can understand, like the lane assist and those sort of things. At the same time, the story today is Tesla faces U.S. criminal probe around self-driving claims. Story is prosecutors are apparently investigating whether Tesla made misleading claims about the capabilities of its autopilot driver assistance program. Um, and again, I mean, I'm, I don't have a Tesla, but that's one of the big marketing things. You know, they've been talking about how we're, we're moving towards all this, and they're now being investigated criminally for whether they overstated that. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, I don't mean to say I told you so, but I, I, I told you so. I when, when this conversation first came up, first of all, my reaction was I would never have an interest in a self-driving vehicle. I mean, first of all, I mean, maybe maybe 50 years from now, if there's that technology where you can just get in your car and you can say, drive me to the office, and, and it'll do it. But I guess in this lifetime, I just don't believe that we're anywhere near close to getting that sort of technology. And to tell you the truth, I, I, don't, I don't want it. I, I want to be able to drive my own car. This is, if you have like, again, one of the, the lane, there, there's all sorts of things that can help you out, like the lane deviation thing or the, the thing you have that on your side mirrors that'll tell you that watch your blind spot that, you know, beep at you before you, you know, move lanes. If there's a car that's in your blind spot or stuff, those things are great. I like the backup cameras. I, I love the backup cameras. I wasn't sure I was going to, but I, I love that. But the idea of the self-driving cars, I, I'm sorry, it's not something that I have any interest in. And apparently Ford, putting its money where its mouth is, has decided, look, we're, we're just not close to developing this stuff right now, so we're not going to continue to pour more money, good money, after bad. Our number, 855-616-1620, self-driving automobiles. Would that be something that you had any interest in the world in? We discuss in just a moment. Yep. Meet George Jetson, Jane, his wife. Yeah, I think you know, when people were watching the Jetsons cartoons in the 1960s. We probably thought by 2022, we'd all be in those hovercraft types of things. You know, that's how we, as you're driving to work at Spacely Sprockets, you know, that's what you do. Well, I mean, the announcement yesterday was it's not just no hovercrafts, but Ford Motor Company announced that it was writing off a $500 million investment and essentially getting out of the the, the business of, of self-driving cars, saying we, we just we don't think the technology's there. We think it's just way too far off. And what we're going to do is we're going to concentrate on driver assist features that, that again, lane deviation things and stuff like that. I, 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 this, to me, makes eminent sense. I just don't—I just think we're just so far away. And I will just tell you, I don't—I would not have an interest in getting a self-driving car, e- even, even if they had them. Let's talk to Harry in Greenfield. Harry, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Um, I, I really, truly believe that if they do move to that uh, autonomous uh, part of the automobile world, that it'd be nice if you had the option of driving it or making it autonomous. For some cases, maybe uh, you became ill or what happened, mm-hmm. and uh, you need that autonomous part of it. But 
I mean, with the love affair of the American people and automobiles, I still people. I think people get pleasure from driving. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know the old Sunday drive with the family and uh, oh yeah, going to a car show or doing something. But I think that uh, part of the fun of owning a nice car or owning a car is driving it. Oh, I I I agree with you. Okay, you know, do, do, look look you know, into your uh, let's look into your crystal ball. How yeah. how far into the future do you think we're going to have to be before you get mass marketed self driving cars. Five years, ten years, well, twenty, I, thirty, fifty? I think by twenty thirty is when you're gonna start seeing uh, you know, a lot of that wave. Okay. Is what my just just my prognosis. No. But you know, there was a manufacturer that came out with a slogan back in the old days and it said drive equals love. And uh, I thought it was a great slogan and it still is in my book. Yeah. No, thanks, Rick. Well, that means right. People would love it. I know twenty thirty. That's only that's only eight years from now. I I don't know. Now I I concede that you know we were able to put a man on the moon. You know, within ten years after starting the space race and stuff. But I don't know, Jeff. Understanding the technology, I don't trust it at all. Jeff, not wanting self driving cars is selfish. If everyone in them would be potential, there would be potentially no accidents. Uh, basically zero to what we have now. Well, actually, that that's, I mean, I guess it's it's interesting to look at this stuff in theory. The problem I think they're having now is their, their experiments with self-driving cars. It's not that they're accident-free. As a matter of fact, many of them are rolling accidents because, and that's one of the reasons why, again, Ford, I think, is bailing. They're just saying, look, we're, we, we can't keep putting money into this because right now the technology doesn't exist. Jeff, I don't mind the concept of interactive driving, but I don't care to turn the wheel over to a machine that lacks road instincts or human self-preservation genes. Um, that's it, Jeff. I will never get a self-driving car. I love to car. I, I love that. Jeff, many of us with disabilities are very much looking forward to self-driving cars. My retina disorder caused me to give up my license and so with it much of my independence. There will be niche markets for this. I, I, I get it. Um, yes, the question is whether or not that would have a broad enough appeal to the majority of drivers. And like, like I say, I mean, I, I appreciate that. If you've got somebody with a disability right now, I can't see, this, this gives you that, that option. It gives you another option. But that's, that's not necessarily the mainstream type of thing. And I don't know that you're going to be able to come up with the money to develop that unless you're convinced that there's broad appeal. Jeff, I'm with you, not now maybe in the future. Jeff, I think the technology is going to improve every year. Right now, it can work better than many current drivers. Um, well, yeah, and it'll be a boon for seniors who no longer have the vision or skills to drive. Again, there's, there is that niche that will ultimately be out there. And by the way, I recognize that we're all getting older every day. So maybe that niche is going to be increasing. But at least for the moment, I mean, the takeaway story is Ford saying, now, we don't think we can make money on this. And so we're putting this on hold. And Tesla's under criminal investigation for supposedly overstating their um, automated car claims. Okay. On something completely, and I said at the start of the show, if you were tuned in at 12 o'clock, I said today was going to be an eclectic program, and it's turned out to be that way. Some days the shows, I, I plot them out, and there's there's like a theme of the show, and we, we try, I arrange the topics to try to run from one to the other. And other days, there's just, there's all this stuff out there that, that interests me, 
and we, we just end up talking about it. And that's why we've we've had discussions about the media bias and the, the daily hit job that the local newspaper is trying to run to try to derail the um, Tim Michaels campaign after trying to derail the Ron Johnson campaign. And it looks like that's failed. And we, we, we talked about stuff like that. And then the return of the McRib sandwich. And it just it's been one of those eclectic shows. And this 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 is a Halloween themed discussion that kind of wraps up the program. Um, Halloween typically used to be a holiday where people would kind of let their freak flag fly. The idea that, you know, you, you, it's, it's the time that you could be somebody other than who you were the other 364 days of the year. And you had, you know, people who would dress up in costumes, and, and, and some of them were, were stereotypical costumes. Some of them were, were costumes that maybe pushed the envelope of good taste, but nevertheless, they were they, 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 that was the, what Halloween was all about. I mean, I just I used to when I was in college, I, I used to go to these Halloween parties and I would dress as an elf. I and I was a six foot one, like two hundred pound elf. But it was a, it was a well, I mean, I thought it was kind of a good con, good costume. I went to like Goodwill and found this like little short green dress or something, and you know it it was it, it was and I always got compliments. People like like that, but. But, you know, you, you can't, you got to be careful to do that nowadays because, you know, if you show up as, as an elf or the Jolly Green Giant, you know, somebody somewhere is going to be offended by this because, I, I don't know, are you mocking transgender people? That's, that's, that's a green dress. You're dressed as a green giant. Well, you know, you, so you, you'd get that type of stuff. Or, hey, you, you can't dress as this or wear that type of hat because it's going to be seen as cultural appropriation. So with Halloween nowadays, it's kind of like, okay, does, does everybody just go dressed as a firefighter? Or you probably can't go dressed as a police officer anymore because that's going to get some groups that are upset with you. So we always try to you know, figure out, all right, what is politically correct here and, and how do you deal with it? So it, it's tough. It's tough nowadays to be, you know, dressing up for a Halloween party. All right, as a result of this, but there still is this question of good taste. So you have some stores out there, for example, who have decided to be the Halloween police. And every year you have different outfits that are available for sale that suddenly get banned because they are found to be in too much of bad taste. eBay is one of the places that a lot of people will go to buy their their costumes. So this year, what is the popular, and I say that in quotation marks, costume that has just been banned on eBay? Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer-inspired outfits. Here is the story. Ever since the release of the, the Netflix show, you know, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, um, people have been clamoring to portray serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer by purchasing lookalike costumes on eBay and through other marketplaces. Hey, we've got a Halloween party coming up. Let, let's, I want to go as Jeffrey Dahmer. <clears throat> um, this was until eBay recently banned sales of Dahmer costumes and or accessories this week as the show increasingly gains traction and Twitter users continue to react. eBay says these items are banned and are being removed under our violence and violent criminal policy, says eBay. These items have been prohibited under the policy. This is not new or a recent decision, but it is a recent decision because, again, it's Halloween. Um, Our number, 
855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I want to use this as a launching point for, I guess, the, the conversation about what Halloween has become. Now, I think, I think dressing as Jeffrey Dahmer is incredibly, in incredibly poor taste. There, there's just no question about it. And I, I'd look and I'd say, okay, why would anybody in their right mind think that this is the costume that I'm going to wear? I mean, go as a fireman, for goodness sakes. At the same time, though, all right, it isn't or shouldn't Halloween be about pushing the envelope? And if somebody wants to do that, should we be telling them, no, you can't buy that? And this, this isn't about whether you have a right to do it or not. EBA can ban whatever they, they choose to. But, but this idea, what do we do with Halloween nowadays? And if somebody wants to wear a, a, a co- Halloween costume that is in bad taste or, or whatever— should they be allowed to do it, understanding that people at the party are going to go and look around and say, you came dressed as Jeffrey Dahmer? What were you thinking? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. For those of you who are going to Halloween parties that are, that are dress up, how, how are you dealing with this? Do you have like that standard go-to costume? Do you do edgy stuff? Or can't we do edgy stuff anymore? And I'm not endorsing Jeffrey Dahmer costumes. I'm just wondering where the line is anymore. How do you handle this as you're planning about going to your Halloween party? 855-616-1620. That's a WDMJ talk and text line. We discuss in a moment. I'm, I'm legitimately intrigued by this because in our, in our woke, politically correct society— you now, I mean, Halloween used to be, okay, let, let's kind of push the edge and let, let's have some edgy costumes. But, but nowadays, you, you can't do that. And, I mean, the latest example is eBay was selling Jeffrey Dahmer cons- costumes. Now, I don't know who in their right mind would dress as Jeffrey Dahmer. But at the same time, if, if it's Halloween, if that's what you want to do, you know, should, should we have the, these companies saying that, that you can't? Or should we as a society say, no, you, you, you can't? You can't do that. Jeff, not sure what kind of idiot would dress like a mass murderer, Dahmer, or um, the more easily mimicked Adolf Hitler, but I'd rather have the court of public opinion rule on that than certain, you know, woke, um, you know, um, corporations. Well, I mean, I think, you know, that's that's it. Um, Jeff, when I was a kid, I knew a white guy who went as a black basketball player. Well, you clearly, I mean, look, that that's... Nowadays, you, you, you don't do that. There, there's no question about it. And, there's, and, and you know, we, we've had instances before. And I, again, there is this, this taste sort of thing. I mean, where you have you know, people like dressing in blackface and stuff like that. That's, that's not cool. And I don't think anybody suggests that it is. But it's like, where, where do you draw the line? Jeff, my wife and I just went through this last weekend, mainly because my costume is stuck in shipping somewhere. Even though I ordered it a month ago, um, it'll be ready for um, next year, I would prefer everyone not be too sensitive. You should be able to get away with a little bit of bad taste. Um, Well, isn't that kind of like what Halloween is all about? Having said that, again, I'd say this is the best that you can come up with. Jeff, people are not going to be appalled at Jeffrey Dahmer costumes. They're going to laugh. I don't think that that it's too soon. Huh. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Chris in Cedarburg. Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. What do you think about Halloween you know, costumes? You know what? I, you know, it's one day, 
And if people are offended, stay home, go to a fish fry, go to a different bar, do whatever. But, you know, what, are, are adults supposed to be ballerinas now or cowboys? Well, well, I don't know if you can be a cowboy or an Indian. But, um, you know, I mean, we're, we're like we're like clipping everybody's wings. I mean, it's just it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's Halloween. It's one day. And, you know, your kids, that's a, that's a little different. But um, as adults, look the other way, go to a different bar, just, you know, it's, it's okay, so then, okay, we're not going to be Dahmer, but let's be Gacy. What, what's the difference? So it, it, it's just, it's creeptastic, and that's what Halloween is. Yeah, well, it, it is. I mean, you kind of wonder, I mean, thanks to call, Chris, because that, that is the balance nowadays. No, look, I, I don't. We don't go to dress-up parties. We don't go to Halloween parties. That's just not kind of on our agenda. But, I mean, it really is nowadays when you're thinking about it, it's not just, oh, is this a clever idea? It's now like, okay, if we do this, how is this going to be perceived? Can I go as a police officer? Or is that going to be offensive to somebody? Can I go as a, I don't know, a, um, I'm, I'm going to dress up as a, as a lookalike for some hair metal band, for a, a guitarist from a hair metal band in the 1980s. Is that going to be viewed as, uh, again, offensive or whatever? Can you, can you go and drag? I mean, you know, that used to be, you know, Halloween, that used to be uh, one of the things that you'd see a lot. You'd see guys that would show up dressed, you know, as the other gender. Well, can you do that now? Or is that going to be offending some people? Or is it just time to say, okay, maybe we need to scrap the whole idea of Halloween because people are just going to be so so sensitive out there. Let's talk. And again, this isn't an endorsement of, of stuff that's in bad taste. It's only, I don't know, wasn't Halloween always a little bit about bad taste? Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, in about 2003 or so, I went as Roy Horn from Siegfried and Roy after he got attacked by a tiger, and I had like fake blood all over me and like a fake tiger and stuff like that. And I would, I what were you would thinking? not do that now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what were you thinking, yeah, Jeff? Yeah, I, I went to the bar. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, and and I everybody at the bars was laughing about it and stuff like that back then. But now, if I went to these two parties I'm going to on Saturday like that, I would actually be really uh, paranoid that I would offend some animal rights activist or someone, you know. Yeah. So I, I generally avoid that stuff if I even go off for Halloween. Yeah, no, any, there— Anymore, I'm kind of making an exception this year. Yeah, no, they, no there, I mean, there's the, those issues. One of the— um, one of the other types of costumes that have been banned is, I'm looking at this story here, it's the creepy clown stuff, you know, the, the scary clowns, because, well, that got banned because you will remember there were these situations where people who were, like, dressed as the scary clowns were, like, out there assaulting people, so the idea is we're going to get rid of it. Jeff, I was a, I was a priest. I went with my pregnant wife. <laughs> One year I went as a blind basketball referee with a cane and glasses. Well, I... I am not sure you could get away with either one of those every year. Um, <laughs> people are people are sending me some texts, and some of them I have just have to edit because I can't. The one with about the M and M's I cannot read on the air. But thanks for the um, input, Jeff. In the immortal words of Sergeant Hulka from Stripes, "Lighten up, Francis." Well, you have that there too, um, right? Oh, last party I went to. Oh, and he's showing somebody. He's got a picture of somebody who was dressed as Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, last party I went to, OMG, I was not offended. Huh. Uh, and again, I, I mean, again, it's it's in bad taste. I understand that. But 
at the same time, that's it. And somebody texts me and says, well, you know, eBay is a private business. They can take it off. That, that's not the point. It's, it's not does eBay have a right to do it. It's as we try to plan out these parties and stuff like that, it's is it the right thing to do? Of course they have the right to say they can decide what they want to sell and what they don't want to sell. But the question becomes, well, what is Halloween all about? And if people want to push the envelope when it comes to bad taste, you know, should they be able to do that? Jeff, I try to push the limit at Halloween and um unsure. I mean, I'm always I'm always wrestling with, you know, is this edgy and where do you cross the line? When I think that's I mean, I think that's a, a fair thing. Um, now, again, you know, I think if you're dressing like Jeffrey Dahmer, you, you might want— but, but he's he's back in the news because of, of this Netflix thing that's out there. Jeff, I like Halloween a lot. Bad taste, funny costumes, puns, all great. But dressing as Dahmer, someone who killed people from our community— gross. Um, yeah. Would it be funny to dress as Daryl Brooks? No, I think that would definitely be too soon. Plus, um, you, you've also, you know, got the, you got a number of other issues that are out there as well. If you're with, with that, but no, I, I, I guess th- this is kind of the thing. Should we respect the right to, to operate in, in bad taste? And I'm not endorsing the Dahmer costumes. I'm just saying it's a different world out there now. And it used to be, oh, is this clever? Is this funny? Is this gross? Is this edgy? Now we don't have that conversation anymore. Now it's like, all right, you know, what, what is the line? And the problem is you don't know it. And I guarantee you, I mean, I guarantee you what's going to happen is after this weekend for Halloween, you are going to see a whole series of stories about people who showed up at Halloween costumes, at Halloween parties, and they're in trouble because it was cultural appropriation or it was viewed as racist or it was viewed as being an incredibly bad taste. And and maybe the the answer moving forward is, okay, we're going to set these rules. And like I say, everybody's going to go as as firefighters and they're going to go as baseball players and a couple other things. And then that, that's just what it's going to be because otherwise, you know, we're going to find ourselves canceled by the culture. 